Hello, welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for the Scottish AI Alliance. My name is Will Millership. I'm the Communications and Events Manager at the Scottish AI Alliance. And today we're going to be talking about generative AI. I have with me two special guests, Andrew Blantz, Innovation Consultant at Waterstones Consultancy, and Vary Aitken, Ethics Fellow in the Public Policy Programme at the Alan Turing Institute. So welcome to you both. Hello. Hi there. Yeah, it's great to have you both here. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting. I've been seeing the topic of generative AI coming up everywhere I look these days. So um, to start with, I was wondering if you could both give me a brief introduction about yourself and your work. If we start with Vary. Yeah, hi. Uh, yes, I'm Vary Aitken. I'm an ethics fellow at the Alan Turing Institute. The Alan Turing Institute is the UK's National Institute for AI and Data Science. Uh, so in my role as an ethics fellow, my work looks at kind of ethical and social considerations around AI and data science, uh, and also looks at kind of emerging governance and regulatory responses to AI and data science. Thanks, Vary. And uh, over to you, Andrew, brief introduction. Hello. So I am an innovation consultant at a tech consultancy called Waterstones. We're based in Durham, but we do have an office in Glasgow. So I feel okay about being on a Scottish AI Alliance podcast. I think that's okay. My role involves partnering our clients with research institutes and startups and universities to work on projects involving emerging technologies. So we look at things like robotics or IoT and recently AI and generative AI. Thanks very much, Andrew. So just for our listeners, this um, yeah, this podcast is a little bit different as we get members from our community we've started. So Andrew's one of the members of our active members of our community to come up with a topic and to um to pick pick a guest to chat about it. And he's picked Barry. So um I'll let Andrew kick us off with um generative AI. What is your definition um, for our listeners? You know, it's been all over the place recently, all over the news, everywhere I turn, I'm seeing it. So can you just give a quick definition for our listeners, Andrew? Yeah, so generative AI is a form of AI that's really popular right now in the media and with the clients we see, they're really interested in it. It is a type of system that can effectively generate new content or content that appears to be new, you feed in huge and huge amounts of information, whether that's text or video or data. And when you query it, when you ask it questions, it can spit out more stuff. So ChatGPT is trained on all the contents of the internet, all the text in it. So you can ask it a question and it can try and give you more text back. It's quite a, it appears quite impressive and very almost magical sometimes. So it gives a sense of people end up trusting it a lot and really give into this hype that it can do everything and solve everything because it acts in a very exciting and impressive way, uh, apparently so. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Barry, have you got anything to add to that kind of definition from Andrew? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Andrew said uh, it's you know generative AI is AI that can create new content or or appear to create new content, and I think that that's a really important caveat that that it appears to create new content. You know, we we define yeah generative AI is, is you know, AI systems that are trained on large data sets that then can create new outputs from what's what they've learned uh, from those data sets. Uh, that can be images, it can be videos, it can be you know synthetic voices, uh, and it can be you know text, uh, yeah, language. Um, but yeah, so we define it as, you know, 
that you know AI that can create new content, um, but the newness of it is kind of contested because actually it's really just imitating um, patterns in the data uh, and creating content uh, or creating new outputs that are yeah mimicking or replicating what it's learned from the data set that it's been trained on. So I think that you know yeah it's defined as AI that creates new that can create new outputs from the data, but actually I think the newness is maybe contested. How does it relate to plagiarism, uh, Vary? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of interest around yeah, plagiarism and also around you know, infringements of copyright or infringement, infringements of intellectual um, property. You know, all these systems, you know, they're trained on existing data sets. So somewhere like ChatGPT, it's trained on uh, yeah, language, it's trained on, on texts that have been uh, you know, taken from the internet. That includes all kinds of things, um, including things like poetry, including things like, uh, you know, all kinds of written outputs. Image generators are you know, trained on large image data sets. That includes uh, artworks, it includes photographs. And from that, they can then create new outputs, um, which, as I've said, you know, that is about imitating the or replicating the patterns from those data sets. And, yeah, it is definitely creating new forms of plagiarism and new concerns around intellectual property where, you know, the outputs that are created, uh, as I said, it's not really new. It's really just mimicking what's in there. Uh, and they've been trained, you know, based on the you know, creative works of of humans, of real people, past and present, um, who haven't been, who haven't consented to the data being used for that purpose, uh, who aren't credited uh, and aren't compensated for the data being used in those purposes, and there's yeah very real concerns around uh, you know around around this model. Sorry, I saw you coming in there, Andrew. Do you have anything to add to that? There's so many interesting little bits there. There's this copyright problem on the training end of it, feeding in data that belongs in, to somebody else. But also on the other side of interacting with it, the data you put into it, where does that go? I read an article recently about Samsung workers putting in all this code that is technically belongs to Samsung about their products and how they write things into ChatGPT. And now that's lost. That's part of ChatGPT's training data set and will, in a sense, be publicly available to people. That's a big worry. We have internally, but when clients want to run projects using sometimes quite um, sensitive information, we have to really talk them down and be like, are you 100% sure you know where this data and information will go once it's been passed to OpenAI or whoever is running these models? Yeah, it's a really good point, Andrew, that the kind of, it works both ways, what you're getting, but also what you're putting in is, is stored and saved. Um, I think we're going to come back a bit to the kind of ethical challenges uh, a bit later on. Uh, but first, I want to talk a bit about kind of case studies and, you know, realities versus the hype. So I'll go back to Vary for this question. And I'm I'm kind of thinking about where do you see the biggest impact of generative AI like already happening? happening? Are there any specific areas that you feel it really is making a big impact and improving things for uh, individuals or organizations? Yeah, I might not be, I might not have all that many examples of where it's improving things, uh, but it's definitely having yeah, really significant impacts. Um, and, you know, it's even having really significant impacts on you know, the AI industry and the AI, you know, people who are working in the AI field. We've seen a really significant reorientation of of energy, of resources uh, into looking at generative AI. Um, you know, over the last year, it was through developments with with image generators, and then since November, uh, the focus has really been on ChatGPT and large language models. But there's been a significant reorientation to to thinking about 
how we can develop these models, how we can apply them and the range of contexts they can be deployed in. And we're also seeing that excitement in you know a, a really wide range of sectors and industries where organizations of all sizes are kind of rushing to demonstrate that they are engaging with these technologies um, to demonstrate that they're deploying chat GPT or other forms of, of generative AI. Uh, and it's yeah, there's real dangers with that because we're seeing it being being deployed and used in, in a really wide range of, of contexts before there's really been the the time taken to understand the potential risks or to understand you know the limitations of these technologies. So we've seen it used in everything from there's the Coco Mental Healthcare app where, where ChatGPT was was used to to provide responses to people looking for advice on mental health care. Uh, that that was that was stopped pretty quickly. And um, that was a very uh yeah, very questionable example and, and also showed the importance of people consenting to interacting with, with these models um, and having transparency around that. We've seen it used in everything, you know, including, uh, um, I have heard, apparently, uh, in Tinder matches. Uh, so people are using ChatGPT to to create, uh, uh, yeah, quirky, interesting, attractive uh, things to say to somebody they might be matching with on Tinder. Uh, and then people are also using it to then create uh, quirky, attractive, interesting things to say in response. And I do wonder what happens when these people meet, <laughs> if, it's, if it has just been a conversation between two bots uh, and then what happens when the real people have to speak to each other. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure I don't sure I'm not sure I have all that many examples of making things better, but we're definitely seeing that the, the impact in terms of a real real excitement, but also a real rush to to use these technologies without really thinking about what they're doing. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Farah. Yeah, there's definitely um you know big impacts in those areas so over to andrew uh do you have anything to add to that or any kind of other impactful areas you see that it's happening already i think impact is an interesting choice of words because impact doesn't imply good or bad it just implies there's been a lot of impact i think you can see a lot in the public people's understanding and perceptions of what computers can theoretically do it's really pushed it into a much more discussed place you hear a lot looking at Twitter and stuff. So many people are discussing it. It's so accessible now. You see a lot of our clients coming to us and talking about it. The actual use cases, though, I think are more limited than people trying to sell you stuff on Twitter would have you believe because it's trained on such a vast quantity of data. And it's not, it's trained to just predict the next word in a sentence, not tell the truth so much. You can't like, really trust it. You can't trust its output 100% to automate processes. I see it being useful as a drafting tool of creating first passes of documentation or as a help you code up large pieces of software by giving you suggestions of how to solve problems. But its actual impact on, like, as you as Fari said, this, like, the mental health app that had to shut down or writing things to tell somebody on Tinder I'm not really sure how useful that is. I, I there's a phrase that ChatGPT puts out that's like we cannot talk about this topic. Some variation of that. And if you go on Twitter and search for that, there's hundreds of thousands of tweets that are obviously ChatGPT bots gone confused in an interaction and just spitting this out. So there's lots of impact in strange places and lots of impact in places where it definitely shouldn't be used. I already had the example of the mental health app. I read an article this morning about Palantir automating systems 
to saw a, a user flying a drone could type in the chat GPT and ask, what should I do in this situation? And Palantir, this evil tech company who developed systems for war, have tried to automate this process to give the control of these systems to large language models, which is grossly irresponsible. Yes, I see. So that's yeah, kind of how it can be used in um, real life, you know, real life expectations already and how it's working. But I want to move on to talk about a bit about the hype and kind of, you know, you've, we've touched on it a bit already, um, areas where it's, you know, perhaps saying it's being used and not or saying it can do a lot more than it can. So um, I was wondering, um, Barry, if we start again with you, where we got, you know, where do you see the largest kind of gaps between perceptions of what can happen or what can be done with AI or generative AI and what is really happening? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we're certainly seeing a, a, a huge amount of hype around generative AI, and it's particularly ChatGPT, um, but generative AI uh, broadly as well. I mean, the number of like LinkedIn articles saying, you know, that here's the top ten ways you should be using generative AI today, or if you are not doing these ten things with ChatGPT, you're missing out. Um, and it's yeah, it's really all about creating this kind of FOMO and the fear of missing out. Um, yeah, creating the hype, which is further fueling this this rush to to deploy it. Um, I think it's also putting a lot of the emphasis and attention on how these things are being used rather than uh, the scrutiny that we really should be having about how these systems are being developed and and the the you know the business models around the development and deployment the design development deployment of these models but yeah we're seeing such a lot of hype and such a lot of uh yeah, misinformation about what these these systems are capable of. Uh, and actually, when we look at what they can really do reliably and safely, it's a fairly narrow set of functions. Something like ChatGPT is pretty good at summarizing long, complex text, putting it into simple language or producing you know, a, a, summar, a summary of text. Um, but if you ask it to create something new, um, it's, yeah, it's going to be full of factual inaccuracies. It's going to have lots of... Um, yeah, lots of things that are just quite simply wrong. It's often also going to have lots of of biases, potentially stereotypes within what it produces. Um, and so I think you know, there's a lot of claims around how if you use these systems, it's going to create new efficiencies, or it's going to it's going to um, speed up uh, things in the workplace, or you know give you a new set of of tools to to create efficiencies within the workplace. Actually, I, I don't think that's true. I think what we're seeing from you know the experience of of how these systems are actually being used is that they're creating more more work because the amount of fact checking you have to do if you're going to use it responsibly um, the amount of fact checking that you'd have to do if you were using chat gpt to create content is huge that's a whole new set of, of work that needs to be undertaken um and also you know checking checking that it's not producing uh, biased or harmful outputs um, and hopefully also you know, thinking carefully about the context in which these systems are being used and whether it's actually responsible to use them in, in different contexts. So I think that that kind of hype around how it's going to revo revolutionize the workplace um, is quite misplaced. Um, I don't think it's going to have those kinds of um, those kinds of positive impacts within the workplace. Um, yeah, and I think the other the other side of things around the hype as well is I think we're we're increasingly seeing a lot of attention at like potential future capacities of AI, um, and there's this very very persistent narrative that comes around again and again that you know AI is going to at some point develop superhuman intelligence uh, or is going to move towards um, you know artificial general intelligence AGI, uh, which you know this narrative comes back again and again, um, but it's coming back very strongly at the moment, um, and that is in large part because of 
advances regenerative AI um, and uh, you know, claims that have been made that these are somehow developing like emergent capabilities that they're doing things that they weren't expected to do. Um, and it's feeding into this misunderstanding of what AI is, uh, which I think is, is really, really dangerous. Uh, actually, most of the times when people point to emergent capabilities, actually, they're just pointing to, you know, misunderstandings about how these models have been developed, maybe a lack of transparency around the training data or unexpected, but nevertheless programmed things that these models have done. Um, so that's maybe that's a different side of the hype. Um, but there's the, you know, there's different kinds of hype about what these models are, are capable of and what they could be capable of in the future. Well, is, do you think there's something in particular about ChatGPT that causes this hype around artificial general intelligence to be more right now? I think there's something about it's it's um sometimes they almost try and trick you into thinking it is a person little text but when it's typing it the little dots come up as if you're getting a text message it people say it hallucinates which is a very human thing to do it can the, the ability to converse with it it gives us an impression a false impression that it does have some kind of personality or, or understanding but that is a design choice right yeah absolutely i think so like yeah the dot 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 with the typing is, yeah, it's a very intentional design choice. These things are, yeah, they're designed to to give that illusion of of more like something like consciousness or, you know, that there is some, that you're interacting with something that's more than just a computer program. Yeah, I think that's a very, very deliberate uh, design choice uh, and maybe makes the kind of user experience more fun or interactive or something, but also feeds into that that deception um, that it is something more than it is. Uh, and that's really dangerous because it is then encouraging people to maybe trust in this model that they're interacting with um, or more dangerous to to, um, you know, to focus on the the model like ChatGPT as something which is making its own decisions or something that in some sense has accountability for its actions, which of, of course it doesn't. Um, and the accountability always lies with the organizations, with the, you know, OpenAI who are developing these systems and organizations who choose to to deploy, deploy these systems in different contexts. I think that that, you know, that kind of anthropomorphizing of AI is is quite dangerous in that sense because it, it really distracts the attention away from from human accountability. The distracting from the training as well is there's so much there that is bad. Like the the running costs of ChatGPT is in the hundreds of thousands. Yet they pay Kenyan workers two dollars a day to create training sets. The environmental impacts are huge. The ownership things we talked about previously are entirely unresolved about. What is, what is your legal right as a person who's created content on the internet to go in and get that data out of the training set? By reading these bars up between you and anyone who's training it, by thinking, oh, it's a person or it's an app that uses this tool, it reduces that link of accountability. And it, especially if you have your mental health app that Rari er talked about earlier, of like, well, they're just going into a tool that OpenAI have trained there's accountability on everyone in that situation, surely, because there's the people who made the app, which have allowed this situation to happen, and also the people who have trained it. I think people somehow, they don't, they just go, well, we have trained this thing and it has, quote, emerging properties, doesn't actually, and they try and wash their hands of that output, or they claim sort of, some sort of neutrality as it is, well, it's just a computer, it's just ones and zeros, when they, that's not really the case, I don't think. Thank you very much. Both of you, that was yeah, really, really interesting. I definitely um, understand what Barry was saying about kind of the fact checking um, 
I haven't I haven't used uh, ChatGPT much um, myself, just playing around, uh, messing about with it. But I thought, hmm, I'm about to do a podcast on it, so hmm. I'll see if it can write my press release. So just before this, I put in, write me a press release on uh, the Living with AI online course, which is going out. I think Vary was involved in that as well. And yeah, it came back with, um, yeah, all sorts of nonsense that I'll have to kind of, I'm not going to end up using it. Um, it only uses stuff that I had already typed as the interesting stuff, but it kind of invented people to give quotes and things. So it was quite funny how it does that. And then a completely different website. So yeah, I can see how it can make more work for someone rather than, um, rather than making life easier. I think it's makes things even cloudier and discourse even worse because in that 80% of truth that's regurgitating from Wikipedia, there's 20% of lies. And if it's got the tone of talking to your mate and you don't understand what the system's doing, it's going to be very hard to unpick those things apart, especially if there's layers of chatbots and websites and interfaces between you and that source. I think a lot of people, a lot of the things you read on LinkedIn, that's like, oh, 10 ways you're going to be left behind if you don't use ChatGPT is like writing programming tools, right? Using ChatGPT to write code. But again, you actually need to be quite an senior level programmer to understand that where all these mistakes in the code are and to understand exactly what it's doing. So it kind of goes back to Vary's point of where are these efficiencies actually going to come from if you can't 100% trust the output? Yeah, I just wanted to follow up now because I think that, yeah, it's, it's a... It, the kinds of inaccuracies like that that are produced through through these these models um is that you need to know you need you need to know something to be able to know what's what is and isn't true otherwise you need, or you'd be prepared to do a lot of fact checking and a, and a lot of research i mean just examples like um you know chat gpt would claim that a, a ton of bricks weighs more than a ton of feathers um, and you can kind of understand why it's produced the outcome, but also you know that they both weigh a ton. So it's, it's not true. Uh, you know, and, and then there's things that you can, if you ask it to write a biography for someone, it will write a very, very plausible biography, but with really significant inaccuracies. Uh, and I think, you know, there were times when you might use it for something where you could fact check it. So people have used it to write like explainer type articles that have been published online. With a high degree of fact checking, maybe you know it can be used for for the kind of structuring of of those outputs. But we're seeing it now integrated into you know lots of systems that people are interacting with in conversational ways um, for you know all kinds of purposes. So you know the Snapchat uh, AI, my, my AI uh, chatbot that people can interact with conversationally, um, it's providing people information. And in that kind of fun, gimmicky, conversational way where probably people aren't going off and, and fact-checking everything that it says to them. Um, also, you know, we see it integrated, uh, uh, ChatGPT integrated into Bing search, uh, like to see Bard in, in Google search in the near future. These are increasingly becoming tools that are used uh, to access information about the world. And there's a real risk, a real danger that it creates more kind of passive ways of consuming information so that you know, while, you know, well, search was never perfect, but you know, while you, know, you go into Google, you search, you get a whole, you get pages, pages, pages of responses, and you kind of scroll through and you look at the different options and you see that there's different kinds of things and you make a decision about which information to access or what to look at. If we're getting information about the world through interacting with systems like ChatGPT, increasingly that process of like filtering out what sources we rely on or what content we, we use, that process is, is kind of invisible to us and we're just getting the answers without scrutinizing where they came from. 
And I think that that is a that's a real worry uh, that it leads to that increasingly passive consumption of of information, which in many cases is is misinformation or at least inaccurate or or biased information about the world. Yeah, it's really interesting that kind of you know the the, the lack of choice of choice of what we're going to be choosing, uh, of what articles we're going to read or what we're going to click on um, that you you currently do get with Google as you scroll through. Um, so we've touched quite a lot on the next question and touched quite a lot on kind of the challenges and um, things like that. But um, Barry, from an ethicist um, perspective, um, what do you think are some of the biggest ethical challenges when it comes to using systems like this? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot. So we've already uh, spoken about risks around misinformation and, and relying on these tools for information about the world. Uh, there's also significant risks around bias. Bias is a, is a well-known set of uh, risks in relation to AI more broadly. We know that, you know, very often AI systems will produce biased outputs if the data they're trained on has uh, inaccuracies or biases within that data set or, or perhaps you know, limitations in the, in the data set, which are then replicated in the outputs um, that, that come from that. Uh, something like, you know, these something like ChatGPT, you know, it's often claimed that these kinds of models are, are sort of like a, a mirror a mirror of the world or a mirror of society in that they're trained on these huge data sets um, and then they reflect back what, what is within them. But you know, in the case of someone like ChatGPT, the data set it's trained on is you know, data from the internet. Um, and that is not, that's not all of society, that's not all of the world. It's a very particular, very skewed view of representation uh, of, of the world and of society. And we know that within that, you know, the, you know, what the data on the internet uh, you know, contains disproportionately a lot of extreme views, a lot of polarized opinions, um, also contains a lot of you know, stereotypes. Um, and we also know that it contains, you know, the voices of some groups are amplified more than those of others. Uh, and, and that has really significant implications for what comes out of that data set. Um, so it includes a great deal of, of uh, biases and it represents some viewpoints and some ideas more than others. Uh, and that is really important when we're using that to you know, provide information about the world or to, uh, yeah, to create outputs that are, are then reflecting certain prejudices, certain viewpoints and, and biases. But I think yeah, I mean, there's lots of ethical concerns. I could I could talk about talk about it all day, um, but I think one of the really yeah the really important uh, or some of some of the most important ethical concerns uh, that Andrew has already raised is is that we really need to be focusing on the the business models behind these and and the the ways that these systems have been developed, um, and it it is a very exploitative business model how you know the current big uh, generative AI models are, are being developed. As we've already said, you know, it's trained on huge uh, data sets of existing work without crediting or compensating the people who have created those work, um, but is then used to to Im imitate or replicate um, aspects of that work in the output. So that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, uh, an element of exploitation with, within that approach. But also, you know, as as Andrew already said, we, the there's a lot of invisible labor in developing these models. So in, in labeling data, in, in training the system. Um, so as, as Andrew already mentioned, you know, the, the case of uh, Kenyan workers, uh, very low paid uh, Kenyan workers who were, who um, uh, it was outsourced to train the, the moderation API for ChatGPT. Uh, and and they were, they, what they were tasked to do for very long days is to label, you know, really explicit um, 
uh, text, uh, including representations of uh, child sexual abuse, um, you know, rape, all kinds of, like, I mean, the really awful content. And their job is to label that in order to train the model to identify what kinds of texts not to create. Uh, and what essentially what this is, is, you know, is creating some protections for users to protect them from potentially harmful content by exposing uh, vulnerable workers to the absolute worst of that content. Uh, and I think that this is, you know, this is this isn't uh, this isn't uh, an exception. This is this kind of invisible labor is very much a part of these of these business models and of the large uh, AI models, uh, training and labeling data sets, and th that labor is. Uh, typically invisible, it's typically underpaid, um, and it's something that we really need to grapple with. How do we uh, ensure the safeguards and protections within these models, while also safeguarding the people who are who are working in 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 the processes of developing these models? Uh, and I think we need yeah we need more conversation around that. You know, like we is it is it worth that kind of level of of harm and exploitation to create a tool so that we can craft witty intros on tinder like is that is that worth it um I, I, yeah I'd, i i really would question whether it is thanks very much barry a very um thorough thorough answer andrew i saw you about to start do you have anything to add to that on ethical challenges and risks well i was just going to follow up to what you mentioned about the actual training process these models are enormous they are take huge amounts of resources to train and create and there's not very many people in the world who can actually afford to create these models and serve them out to people. So there's this level of, well, your training set itself, it's going to be based on a skewed outlook of the world. You're getting it from Reddit or Twitter, which has its own branch of politics and thought. And then you're giving the permission to train it to a select handful of companies who have their own agendas and their own thoughts. And it is possible to fine tune these models, some of them locally, but it's kind of, I think it's just openly known that I couldn't log into a system and train a model as good as ChatGPT. It's not going to work. It's not going to be possible unless I'm willing to spend a lot of money. So there's that huge blocker of creating other ways of doing it on top of companies like OpenAI who said they were going to be open source and open have gone back on that. So it's hard to even know what these models are doing or how you create them. So there's there's so much separating the training and how they were made from how other people could replicate this work. Thanks, Andrew. So I'm getting near the um, near to the, all the time we have, which is a shame because I could I could chat about this all day. And I hearing the two of you, I'm sure you both could as well. Um, but I want to look to the future a bit. You know, in the next um, five to ten years. Um, What's next for generative AI? And, you know, is it just a fad? Will it kind of, will this kind of wave of excitement uh, die out? Um, what what do you both think on that? Um, and a little sub question to that kind of, what do you think uh, are going to be the most impactful areas over the next five to 10 years? And in various cases, you know, what what should we be focusing on um, in turn, or gov what should governments, what should organizations be focusing on when taking um, these technologies into account? I know that's about four questions in one, but uh, let's start with Barry on that. I I, don't, I think this is kind of tip of the iceberg at the moment. I think there's a lot more to come. I don't think this conversation uh, is going uh, is going away. Um, yeah, generative AI. We're going to continue to see significant investment and excitement in in this area. Um, and in terms of what that's going to look like in the next five years, 
uh, I don't know, maybe I give you a kind of optimistic and pessimistic view. Um, I think some of the like the big risks uh, that I see um, are well fundamentally risks to democracy. Uh, we've spoken a lot about about ChatGPT. Um, I guess we've spoken a bit less about uh, like uh, generative AI for images and, and videos, but we're seeing. You know, and there's such a lot of of development in generative AI to create uh, fake images, so you know, photos as well as you know, uh, creative you know, pictures, pictures, paintings, artworks. But um, the the photos, realistic photos, is is a particular area of concern. Um, also, we're seeing you know to create fake videos um, and increasingly synthetic voices, which can be incredibly convincing. Um, all of this is is really concerning. Um, it's concerning not just that we're creating that's created kind of realistic looking uh, fake outputs that could could convince somebody that something is fake is actually real. I think the, the much wider concern or the deeper concern that I have is that with this kind of proliferation of, of uh, AI generated content, and as there's increasing public awareness of um, the existence of, of fake images, fake videos, fake voices, that increasingly as a society we're going to become very skeptical of everything uh you know and and that is particularly concerning if maybe there is uh, a news report or an image or a video which um it doesn't fit with somebody's worldview or challenges a political position or challenges an idea about the world that increasingly that can be responded to with well how do i know it's real um, and it's not just that you might see something fake and think it's real, but actually, increasingly, we're going to see things that are real and think maybe it's fake. Um, and that is fundamentally a risk to democracy, um, because you know, for a functioning democracy, we need to have access to trustworthy, accurate information about the world. We need to be able to know what's really happening to inform political decisions. Uh, and that's where I see the, the, the biggest risks of generative AI. Um, and I said I was going to also have an optimistic view. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always end up with doom and gloom, and I need to have a, a more positive, uh, a, a positive outlook as well. Um, but I think that probably the the positive impacts are probably going to be more mundane than we're seeing at the moment. You know, like at the moment, all this hype. Actually, we're going to see advances in uh, yeah using these tools, using things like ChatGPT as tools to summarize text, which leads to efficiency in some um, bureaucratic processes. Uh, I think generally with AI, that's the case. You know, we have all the speculation, all the hype, all the sensational reporting around, um, yeah, shiny, exciting things. And actually where we see the most valuable advances is often in the more mundane, you know, automating of repetitive tasks. Um, and, and, well, I don't know, for some of you like me, that's quite exciting, uh, focusing on those mundane things. And actually, that's probably where we're going to see uh, yeah, the most value and the most positive impacts. Thanks very much, Ferry. And straight over to you, Andrew. I, I actually have an example of the doom and gloom outcome you gave, Barry. Uh, there, there's an article in The Guardian this morning where the exact same thing that you have suggested might happen has happened. Tesla owned a lawsuit uh, about the claims that their cars can self-drive. The family of a of the owner of a car who died in a crash is suing Tesla for these claims. And a piece of their evidence is Elon Musk on camera saying the cars are self-driving. You can watch this video on YouTube. It's real. It's from five years ago. But their lawyers are like, how do you know it's real? Deep fake technology is so good now. And Elon Musk is a public figure. How how do you know? Um, so we're already entering this scary time of 
how can we trust the things that we see? There's like little things of, I saw a picture of a Pope wearing a really cool jacket. Um, I, my first thought was, oh, that's, that's a funny jacket the Pope's wearing. Not did an AI make that. So we're entering definitely this weird time. I, I also agree with the positive side. I think the, the actual benefits will be, sadly, for the, for the pundits on Twitter and LinkedIn, they'll be mundane. And it'll be like, can we summarize this text? Can we generate this text? Can we automate this bureaucratic process? Things that depend on little bits of natural language, automating those things, I think will be the future of it as it gets better and better. Thanks, Andrew. So a consensus on a uh, pretty dull future, but um, also, you know, potentially dangerous one and um, a lot of work to be done. Um, sorry, Andrew, were you coming in with something I was else? just going to say dull, dull is underrated, you know, like it's going to be okay. If, it, if it's a choice of dull or apocalyptic, we'll go dull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, doll, doll's all good if it's um if it helps the helps improve the doll tasks. But I think I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this morning. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. It's been really interesting conversation, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to um seeing what happens over the next few years. Thank you for inviting me on, Will. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed the discussion. <laughs>